Hello and welcome to the Found Cause, where we have found our cars and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, man behind the machine, and to my right is Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And uh, you know, technology escapes us and is hard, and probably will create audio issues with this episode. And I'll forget to edit out something. But um, you'll see in the top corner of our screen is two little swans, <laughs> and it says Theo Cam because Theodore is here without his camera because it's rebelling against him, whatever else. But Theodore is here virtually. Theodore, enter yourself. Yeah, Theodore, under the PC, under the person of Christ. And I'm just going to restart my computer real Please quick. Please do so. not. Oh, my gosh. You, know, you, were home, you don't see all the technical difficulties that go on making these episodes. It is an underappreciated job to uh, have to fight the computer. Um, but I digress. Uh, instead of fighting computers, today we're going to fight our very sin nature because we were talking about the law, but not just one of Michael's passion projects about how do you apply the law to today's politics, which I love and would talk about all day. But instead, we're going to talk about something a little more basic and yet can be very deep, and that is the Ten Commandments in particular. This is one of Theodore's passion project episodes. By the way, another peek behind the curtain. Not only do we have tremendous audio issues and whatever else in this podcast, but we also have a running list of topics that we set up every week and we, we add it as we come up with ideas that we're going to do for topic lists if you're wondering how we ideate. And um, I will say the vast majority of ideas come from Theodore. Um, so props to Theodore where it's due. Um, both the very, very boring ones and the incredibly good ones <laughs> usually come from Theodore um, with some notable exceptions. So today's is no different. Today's his topic was deconstructing the Ten Commandments. Now when I hear deconstructing, and I think Sebastian was thinking the same thing, I think of like liberal Christians who are deconstructing their faith, meaning like disproving it, debunking it. So this is not debunking the Ten Commandments. It's taking them apart and showing how they work. So it's we're going to put it back together again. It's not, we're not deconstructing it like taking it apart. Um, so dissecting. We're dissecting it. Exactly. That's probably a better word. I don't know what I'll name this episode or what we'll come up with. Uh, we're going to go through the Ten Commandments one by one and talk about how they apply. Um, but before we even get to that, I want to take a step back and say why do we even care about the Ten Commandments? What are they as a thing before we talk about what are in them? And then a couple caveats. So before I do that, do you guys have a take on what, what I should ask you, Theodore, since it's your topic, what are the Ten Commandments? Not like what are in the Ten Commandments, but like what are they as a whole? Um, <clears throat> uh, I guess, uh, well, I don't, <laughs> they don't even have to know. get your perspective too but they're um a guideline to god's people in how to relate with him and relate with others and live uh in a wise way and to live in a moral way um so that they may flourish and be known among all people um yeah. that god is truly among them and leading them Yes, I agree with that. And you could say the same summary statement for the whole of the law. God gave 600 plus commandments to the Israelites and how they should live. And you could summarize them all by saying it's it's imperatives that God gives to the Israelites to set them apart as separate and as an example of all the nations and to live in holiness before them. Um, the Ten Commandments, if you know your Bible, were given to Moses specifically on ten tablets. God writes them with his own finger, and he comes down to the Israelites. They're currently being idolatrous, so he breaks them, Moses does, and they has to go back up and get them again. So they are something particular about these Ten Commandments that are different than the 633 others that God gives, because all of them are God's law. And if you hear me speak all the time, I'll say that all of them are equally God's law. It wasn't like half of them were made up by the priests or anything like that. They're all given by God. 
Uh, but these 10, we would say, are summative of the law with two exceptions. You'll notice, and, and this is where I want to be particular myself, Jesus summarizes the law not with the Ten Commandments in, in his time when he's walking around on earth. He summarizes it with just two commandments, and that is, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and strength, which is from the Shema, yeah. which Sebastian loves to say, so I was just going to point to him. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yes, and then right after that, in Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So that, that first one that Jesus uses to summarize the law. And then one that the Jews also tacked on um, to, to the Ten Commandments. So that one was tacked on usually, make 11 commandments. Then a twelfth one was added, typically. And it's from Leviticus 19, which says, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus summarizes, summarizes the law in just two points, but God sees fit to, to make it 10 points. Um, so we would say that the Ten Commandments are a summary, a bigger summary of the two commandments that are primary to God's law. So God's law is love God and love neighbor. And then it breaks apart into the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments are broken down into 633 different commandments. So that's the hierarchy. It's why the Ten Commandments is irrelevant and important. And what I think every Christian should realize is that I hear a lot of American Christians of Americanism, and I'm sure it's other in other parts of the world, that don't really know how to handle the law. They're not sure what parts are applicable and what parts are not anymore. And so they will default to saying, oh yeah, like I know the Ten Commandments. Those are important, right? And we generally agree with them. People aren't usually offended by the Ten Commandments. And so they say, these are the ones we should follow. And they, they point to places in the Old Testament, and, and the New Testament, sorry, rather, where Jesus reiterates the, the Ten Commandments. And they say, well, you see, the old law, the ones we don't like, like stone the gaze or whatever, those ones are gone because I hate them. Uh, but there is still some morals. And so Jesus reestablishes the law. And only things that he says in the New Testament are still applicable today. And those, the only things they are are the Ten Commandments. That's a, a, a pretty good summary. It's usually, usually not as eloquently or shortly put. But that's usually a pretty good summary of how most Christians, even pastors and, and other well-educated, will take the Ten Commandments to be. And I would like to fully refute that point. I'll do it in just one quote and that's when Jesus says to the crowds in Matthew, he says, do not think, don't even let it enter your mind that I came to abolish the law. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And then he goes into a speech about, you've heard it said, um, you shall uh, not swear in vain, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all. So then he goes about <laughs> clarifying the law. And some people will take that whole speech mm-hmm. as him saying that the old law was bad and his new law is good. He's giving you law. But that's why he specifies in the very beginning, he does not come to abolish the law. And everything he's saying is not abolishing it, it's fulfilling it, it's reiterating it, it's, he's fulfilling it. What he's actually saying is that the Pharisees had gone above and beyond in a bad way from what the law was supposed to mean. Right. And uh, we understand the fulfillment of the law in Jesus to be fulfilling certain things. For example, the sacrifices are fulfilled in his sacrifice. The priesthood. And the priesthood is fulfilled in him, right? And the uh, ceremonial laws of keeping Israel separate from the peoples, they don't, excuse me, don't have to do with righteousness, but have to do with just keeping them separate, are now... Like the shrimp and octopus and bats. What you can eat. You can eat bats now. I would uh, not recommend that, but you can do it. Right. And we know that because it explicitly says in the New Testament that that is fulfilled, right? Um, so we we know that from Scripture. We don't just come up with that on our own. All that said, the Ten Commandments um, are in, inclusive of the entirety of the law. 
And so when you point to other commandments, like stone the gaze or whatever else, know that they are still valid laws. They're not fulfilled in Christ in a way that makes them go away. And if you understand Jesus' teachings, the New Testament teachings, to mean that none of those laws are valid anymore, you have misunderstood the commandments, just as Jesus says. They does not come to abrogate the law, but to fulfill. And if you think they are abrogated, you are wrong. Um, so if you take the Ten Commandments to be valid law, which, which they are, um, then you give the whole of the law because they're summative of the two commandments. And Jesus says the whole law is in the, just the two commandments. And so the whole law is all 663, whatever commands. I'm forgetting my, my numbers. Um, all that said, that's not really what today's episode is about. If you want to see this breakdown, I'm sure we'll do it in the future. All, all those other laws, the smaller ones and how they apply today. But today we're going to talk about just the summative laws, these 10 commandments. So that being said, remember the two that they come from. Those would be even more summative than these. Um, let's go through each one. And I've been rambling for a lot, so I'm going to hand it over to Sebastian. I'm going to hand it over to you, Theodore. What is the first of the Ten Commandments, and why should we care? You shall have no other gods before me. All right. And Theodore, Sebastian, what does that mean? Well, it's uh, God is first and foremost. Um, he is... <laughs> We worship him above everything else. He's the purpose of life. He's the reason for life. He sustains life. And he is the one true God. Yeah. And I mean, it might be kind of stretchy to say some of that, right? Like he's the one that's not in the law here. But but I want to defend you in that I believe you need to take this in its entirety. And if you break down all the things that are underneath this particular law of the 633 that come from these den. Um, you'll see that when you don't honor God with certain sacrifices, right? You are not, you're having other gods before God. So I would say it's not just not um, having other gods that are above God. For example, the Israelites for a good amount of their history would accept many gods and that God was, was their God of their lands. They had the temple for him, but they also worshiped Asherah and they also worshiped Baal and the Lord hates that. So this law is not just that you shouldn't have any gods above me, but that you should have no other gods before me, like in front of my eyes. I should not see you have any other gods. Um, which they, it, people generally know that. I just want to point it out because I think it's important. And the Israelites presumably had kept the Ten Commandments in high esteem and knew of them when they were worshiping other gods. And they probably justified it by saying that we, we still have God as the top God. We have no other gods mm -hmm. before God, um, for Yahweh. But we, we hold this law to mean that... Uh, if you attribute things that are actually gods, like the fact that he's created everything, like you said, Theodore, or that he is the one worthy of all these sacrifices, to anything else, we are actually breaking the first commandment. So when we don't honor God with, with proper tithe or whatever else we're withholding from God, we are having another God besides the Lord. And so you will meet many Christians so-called today who believe that God is the only God, um, but they actually break the first commandment when they put other things above God. Your time... Your desires, mm -hmm. even something that might be as little as that, we all fall short from the glory of God. Right. Any other commentary on commandment number one? Oh, it just comes to mind and from Isaiah, one of my favorite verses. I'll just read the, the first part. Remember this, take this to heart. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me. I... I declare the end from the beginning, meaning he's asserting himself and he also doesn't know of any and else other parts of the trials of the false gods. He doesn't know of any other God. And 
less so today than in the past. I mean, no, no, no. In India, there's still a lot of paganism, but um, back in the day, people would have pantheon thousands, if not millions, of gods. Mm-hmm. It's such a, and it's just so fascinating how people want to make their deity human-like. If you look at those um, idols on Greek mytho- in Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Norse, they're very human. They're very petty. They're greedy. They're selfish. They are um, adulterous. Mm-hmm. And they're very human-like, which is very strange. Which leads us into the second commandment. What's the second commandment, Sebastian? You shall make no graven images. Right, or idols in some translations. So you just said it, but not only are we to not have any gods before God, and so some might think these are redundant, actually, which is a good clarification to say and that... Oh, go ahead. Maybe that's why... Uh, Catholics take out that second commandment, they uh, completely delete that from their list of Ten Commandments. You know, but then there's also the Catholic uh, relics and, and a statue bowing down to things like that and worshipping them. Yeah, by the way, your mic is crapping out, so maybe you want to unplug it and replug it. But oh. I, I totally agree with you, Theodore. And I don't know, I, I must have forgotten this, because um, I'm sure we've talked about it before, but I totally forgot it. I didn't know that they nixed this one. That seems way too on the nose. Is that true? It is, yes. Even in Peru, when I, when I, after I moved here, it's like, why is it different? Something is not matching here from what I learned in my school, from when I learned the part, part of my catechism. And also even reading from the Catholic archdiocese of melbourne the second commandment they so they skip the idol part they say i am the lord your god no strange gods before me number two you shall not take the name of the lord your god in vain which is the third commandment here so they shift it up and then what they do is they expand the last commandment you shall not covet so it's expanded into two you shall not cover your neighbor's wife shall not cover your neighbor's goods what okay well I mean, that, that I is in the see. law, right? But that's not, that's, the, the, those are both one commandment. Don't cover your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's goods. Yes, but you might be wondering why get rid of the graven images. Well, if you enter a Catholic church more in Europe and Latin America than in the U.S., you will find a lot of graven images on the walls. There's not a single inch that doesn't have an image or a statue of a saint of Jesus or Mary or an angel. In that and you might be saying that's not an idol that's not a graven image this is communicating something holy something good it's the pagans in this that make a statue of Zeus that are evil well a God might beg to differ with that because as we have cited before in the book of Kings oh, the name escapes me right now when I need it pretty sure it was Jeroboam or was someone yeah, one of the oh, oh okay great wow. of Israel. Uh-huh. yes what did he do he famously did something that even god and the prophets considered evil when the people could not longer he didn't want people in his kingdom in the north to go down to jerusalem because jerusalem was part of his rival's kingdom he set up his own temple in um was it betel so, somewhere in his yeah. kingdom <laughs> in samaria okay samaria and what did he do? He built two calves of gold and he said, people of Israel, this is Yahweh, the God that took you out of Egypt. Notice, he did not say, 
Israelites. Remember Yahweh, that stupid God that we used to worship? No, 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 no. We're going to worship someone different this time. Like Zeus, that guy's cool. Or like Baal, Baal. No, no, no. He did not say that. He said, this calf, this is this very same God that you all worship, that Moses worshiped, I worship. This is Yahweh. You might be saying, don't Catholics do the same thing? This is the statue of Jesus. This is not an idol. This is Jesus. This is Mary, who we worship. Yes, they we worship. We can try to do semantics and whatnot. You're doing the same sinful thing as the kings of Israel did when they built calves and called that the one true God. Right. And so, I mean, it's not a Catholic episode, so we'll put it short <laughs> there. But yes, definitely. A, a, and I think it's freakishly on the nose that they would take it out. I think maybe they would say that it's fulfilled in Christ and therefore we no longer have to take, we don't have to put this in the Ten Commandments because we can now make cool Jesus statues and stuff, but um, whatever, it's not a good excuse. And we would, again, say that the, all the laws is still valid and how is this fulfilled in Christ, I don't know. Um, and I think what's important here is to split because some will say in the U.S., they'll say, um, that uh, like Christians will say that the U.S. is a lot of idolatry because we have a lot of gods before God, i.e. like money and education and power and politics and whatever else, um, which I agree with them in that, that we have other gods before God and that is um, evil to broach the first commandment. But I would say it's it is a it's a double it's double the sin if you actually make physical idols, and that's why I would want to distinguish between like literal idolatry where you have an idol and just just making another god before God. Um, you either not giving him his due or whatever else, because the U.S. is definitely guilty of breaking the first commandment, but usually not guilty of breaking the second commandment. There's not a lot of idolatry, unless the Catholics. I mean, there's pagans and stuff in the U.S., granted. Um, but I would say idolatry with the idol is a double sin, because here you have two of the great Ten Commandments broken, not just one. I also want to be inclusive and throw Coptic people and Eastern Orthodox in oh, that. the idolatry mix? Yes, yeah, yes, okay. because what do we do? We, they all kiss the icons as they go in. They pray, they light candles in front of the icons. Yes, it's a window, window to heaven, channeling the energies of God. No, 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 no. King of Israel tried to do the same thing. God did not approve. They also tried to worship the snake, the, the snake, the bronze serpent, uh -huh. and Hezekiah destroyed it too because it was idolatry no, so josiah but yes okay yes or is it Hezekiah? i think it's josiah it's either josiah or hezekiah i think it's josiah in any case i think it's kind of obvious what this means um to to anybody giving it its fair shake maybe not catholics um but one other important thing here to me is that in the the old tongue we would say you should not make a graven image um and some would just translate it to idols because that's what a graven image is. There are some Christians under the conviction that we should never make any graven images because there are other commands that are detailed out in the, the greater expansion of the law that say don't make graven images of like living things and other things on the earth because it'll be you worship them, right? Like don't make it of an ox or whatever else. It gives us a list of things that we shouldn't make it. Generally saying don't make statues of any sort. Um, but the the understanding i believe is clearly that don't make idols that are meant to be worshiped so don't make don't make cranes or or cows or whatever else that are meant to be worshiped uh, because god commissions artisans to do things like make cherubim in his tabernacle right and cherubim are things that you could worship and then this artisan makes the, the statues and god commands the statues to be made so clearly it's not a breach of the the second commandment to make any graven image it's specifically images that are meant to be worshipped as idols and equally like in the in the solomon's temple days the the artisan makes uh, oxen for the 
um, bowl, which is expressly forbidden in portion of God's law, but clearly it's not forbidden in this case because these oxen are not being worshipped. So some Christians are under the conviction that you should never draw a picture of Jesus, for example, kind of like Muhammad kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that's not a breach of the, the second commandment. Unless you are worshipping that image, and yes, several images of Jesus are worshipped, um, but if it's just a picture representing Jesus, it's not a breach of the second commandment, in my opinion. And interestingly, Jehovah's Witnesses would say that you shouldn't even have any crosses or any right. symbol of the cross. And I would like as a disclaimer to say, I do not kiss this like some people would. Mm-hmm. I use this as a symbol for people to see that, oh, you are a Christian. Right. There's some in, uh, from my read too, in some in Coptic circles, they use the symbol of the cross to ward off evil spirits and like, Put in front of people right. and like whatnot. An exorcism. Uh, yes, that I would say you're really walking fine line with what actually is idolatry, attributing the spirit, whatever. A story for another I day. I mean, God sometimes uses objects, right, in his in his stories, but nevertheless, I think idolatry is usually pretty obvious what it is, unless you're deceiving yourself. Any other comments, Theodore? Should we move on to number three? Move on. All right. You want to say number three? Uh, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thank you for the King James. Yes. <laughs> now, Theodore, maybe you can break that one down. This is kind of a confusing one to many. In fact, I'm looking at a graphic right here behind the screen that's reminding me of the Ten Commandments. I don't forget it. And it has a big text bubble next to an infographic of it that says, OMG, like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> tell me, Theodore, what does it mean to take the name of the Lord God in vain? <laughs> Why do you ask me? Um, well, <clears throat> anyway, recently I listened to a podcast, and it they said that a possibly more accurate translation, um, as some people say, is thou shalt not pick up or grab or carry uh, the name of God in vain. So that's kind of like picking up God or like representing God. Is if you have, if you're picking up like the seal of God or the brand of God, and you're like the ambassador of God, um, and so like, mm-hmm. don't do that in vain. And I kind of thought like even afraid or just saying I'm a Christian, that's kind of carrying the name of God, um, and basically don't do that lightly. Don't do that in vain. Yeah. That's what I'd say about it. I'll back that. You had more to say? Oh, no. Yeah, I'll back that and just expand on it to say I agree. I think what it actually isn't saying, and so just to to knock down the oh my God point, um, this is not a commandment saying that you should not say the word God flippantly, um, specifically. So I do not believe it's a breach of the third commandment to say oh my God. However... I would say using God's name as profanity or, or lightly is actually a breach of the first commandment, which says you should have no other gods before you. Because if you blaspheme God by saying like Jesus Christ as a swear, um, you are, you're insulting God with the use of his name like that. So that would be a breach of the first commandment. Um, this is not a don't say God's name in vain like that. I would agree with Theodore. And that is it's a, it's to not either fake prophecy from God, oh. right? So you shouldn't you shouldn't take oaths in God's name, and you should not fake prophecy from Him, and you shouldn't bear His His seal lightly. 
um, in vain. So I would say it's, it's expressly that. And the oath-taking is a serious thing. We don't think of it as very serious today because it's pretty common, but um, back in the day, it was also common too. And Jesus calls it out viciously and says, you should, it, it, you should not take any oaths because um, when you take oaths by God, you're taking the Lord's name in vain because you're going to break that oath, right? We inevitably break a lot of the oaths that we take. And so he says, don't take it at all because you'll be breaching. I, he doesn't say this last part, but you'll be breaching the third commandment because you'll be taking God's name in vain when you say, I swear to God, you know, I've never known that woman, right? You swear falsely. So I believe that that is taking the Lord's name in vain. And that's another commandment too. Uh, not, yeah, not bearing false witness is another <laughs> commandment. So that's a separate thing. But like even even vowing by God is, is vain. So unless you have an express prophetic vision from god don't don't say so and you and you might be saying and all the jewish people might be raging at us because they even when i was in england i met a bunch of nice jewish people that were outside of parliament they handed some pamphlets and in it the word god was g dash d because even to this day they don't want to even say the word god or spell it out the big problem with that is if you happen to look at the psalms of David, the word Yahweh is all over the place, and the songs were meant to be sung, not in church, but in the sing- in, in in your house at a temple, in a religious ceremony. So clearly, they were expected to say the name Yahweh in right. a praiseworthy way. So there's nothing wrong with saying the holy name of God, which Jews today they refuse to do. They just say Adonai or Eli or Hashem, the name. And also, even even Jesus says, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" He says, "Eloi, Eloi, lach in Aramaic. So even Jesus says, "My God." So to any Christians or Jews out there that may say, can't say, "Oh my God," or oh, actually, depends depends on even the context where you where you're saying that. But the word God is not verboten; uh, it's not forbidden right. to say. And I immediately think Point. of the prophet Jeremiah. Oh, sorry, Theodore. Well, I was just say good points with that and i was uh that even like when i'm exasperated i might say oh lord or god help me or whatever like that and it i don't really think i'm saying that kind of stuff in vain but if you say it like all the time um at the smallest inconvenience then i think it becomes vain well, it depends. I don't think that's uh, like I would go back to the, my point in that I don't think this commandment is speaking about that really. I think that's just sure. blaspheming God if you end up making it a, a swear, right? Some, some curse word um, because of the way you use it. Because um, if you're if you're always asking for God's help, I mean that's even if it's a small thing, that's not vanity. Um, I think this is expressly talking about like like making him as a banner in vain right like like swearing by his name mm-hmm. or by prophesying in his name when he hasn't actually spoken i think other blasphemies should be put under the category of number one they're still they're both bad right but i, I think this one is expressly um taking his name in vanity so you're shifting the cursing up to blasphemy okay yeah okay it's good and, so, and therefore your examples sebastian about the jews doing this all seriously taking the name of God to understand it. You want to take God's name in reverence, but it's not that you can't say the name of the Lord. Like this is a very misunderstood commandment, I think. Yes. And also God said to Moses, tell him I am sent you. So he clearly said it out loud. Even the the, the man, (laughs) the Jews really admire, like he uttered the divine name to the Jewish people. So it's 
Yeah. <laughs> and you, Sebastian, were saying it reminds me of Jeremiah. Yes. And this is, I mean, I'm just attacking everyone today, but, you know, might as well continue. To our charismatic friends out there, whenever, do not take lightly the idea of prophecy. You cannot go around saying, the, God, the Lord told me that this or this person is going to win in the election. How many times has that happened? Goodness gracious. That is <laughs> worthy of death. And it angers the Lord. Jeremiah had a beautiful book. I just started to really appreciate it now as I've been listening to it over and over again multiple times. He was prophesying. The sinful Jewish leaders were saying, stop it. You're such a Debbie Downer. And then in contrast, they said, listen to these other prophets who are prophesying peace and prosperity and blessing to Israel. And then what does God say to Jeremiah? I mean, know these losers. Like, who are these people? I never spoke to them. I never told them to say anything like this. I don't even know who. I mean, he knows who they are, but they're not my prophets. Like, what? They're just making it up, pulling things out from their armpits, so to say. God doesn't take lightly on false prophecy, and I would say that definitely falls falls under um, taking the name of the Lord. You're representing yourself as a messenger of God, and God says, "Yeah, I've never spoken to you." So if you if the if your ears aren't burning, if you're not going blind from seeing Jesus face to face, you probably shouldn't be um, saying... Tending to prophesy, yes. Yes. When that day comes, yes, please prophesy all you want. But until that day comes, do not say, the Lord told me. Right, just say, I think, as you should always. All right, I think we beat it to death. Let's go to number four. <laughs> What's number four, Sebastian? Keep the Sabbath holy. Just... As I do. I'm just kidding. I don't. Yeah. And let's discuss this one. I mean, each one of these is going to come with a lot of things to say usually because, like I said, these are summative of 633 commands. You could speak on every single iteration of God's uh, extra about it if you wanted. But the Sabbath day, and even, the, again, the same infographic that we're looking at to, to see the Ten Commandments, has a little church building next to this one. Um preface i think we're most familiar with is that most christians would consider sunday the, the lord's day the sabbath day and if you're old enough in the united states or anywhere else often people like will shut down their businesses on sunday because they believe it's the sabbath day or they won't mow their lawn or whatever else they don't work on the sabbath day um with the exception of preachers who work on the sabbath day with the defense of jesus saying that the priests you know the priests were allowed to work on the sabbath inside the temple and whatever else um and we know all of Jesus's talk about the Sabbath in that his disciples, um, to the Pharisees, they broke the Sabbath, i.e. they picked heads of grain on the Sabbath, which could be considered work. Um, God has a very strict law about breaking the Sabbath in his law. This is explained further, again, in the 633 commands where he says, anybody who breaks this day is found working on the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week, which is actually Saturday in the actual calendar. Um, what well, should be put to death. So this is a very serious law to breach. Um, so the Jews are very concerned about what, what was breaking the Sabbath and what was not. Um, they overdid it, and Jesus expresses to them that when they overdo it, they're adding to the law that's evil. Right? It's okay to do good on the Sabbath. So, for example, rescuing somebody on the Sabbath is, is good and allowed. Um, the question is um, twofold. One, what is the Sabbath day? And two, how is it to be kept? Period. Um, we would hold, I, I would hold this, and maybe Theodore, you can give color, and Sebastian can give me color. I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist, um, not the sect, nor anybody who does that, meaning 
Um, I don't hold of the seventh day of the week, which is again, technically Saturday. Um, I would not hold that that is the Sabbath day any longer. It is the historic Sabbath day. So we'd say that's the day the Lord rested and like, we'll give it that honor. Um, however, Sunday is the Lord's day. It's the day the Lord resurrected from the dead. And the Christian church has been celebrating on that day um, for thousands of years. Catholics will claim that it's their day, whatever they convinced us to do it. And so, so will Seventh-day Adventists point back and say, the Catholics have corrupted the Protestant church because they're profaning the Lord's day by uh, moving it to Sunday, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Christians, way before the, the Catholic, Roman Catholic church, um, were moving it to Sunday because in honor of the Lord, they were celebrating on Sunday. And the Lord himself fulfills the Sabbath day in his rest. Now that we rest in him, we are we are made holy through him. We're separated from the other nations through him. This is one of those laws. And we know this, again, not just from me pulling it out of my butt or deciding I don't like the Sabbath, but Paul himself writes in the epistles, he says, if anybody tries to hold you to a particular Sabbath day, yes, the actual regular occurring Sabbath day, as well as all the other um, Sabbaths, the rest days, the holidays of um, God's law, they're wrong, right? It's not actually held to anymore. It's fulfilled in Christ. It's not done away with, i.e. like it never was. Our Sabbath is now in Jesus. So I would say we are not beholden <clears throat> to this, excuse me, <clears throat> we're not beholden to keep the Sabbath holding as a law at its face value. <laughs> I'm willing to be corrected. I am. And I do think it's wise to keep a rest day in your regular week. I believe that God has designed us to rest. No more that that's with holidays or vacations um, to celebrate. And equally, a, a one day out of the week, at least, that you don't work. Um, so I say it's trusting of God to not do that. But I would say it's no longer a binding hold on Christians um, to keep a day without work. Or specific, like, specifically Saturday or whatever else. Meaning you'd have... You could make Tuesday your Sabbath day. We happen to make Sunday our Sabbath day just because it's an honor of the Lord's memory. Sunday itself is not a specifically holy day, except that we make it holy by worshiping God then. But I'm willing to hear you or Theodore's um, explanation, Sebastian. I find it fascinating that John Calvin said that it's not just one day a week, but rather requires the whole course of our lives because we were buried in baptism and raised from the dead to the glory of, of God. And... Until being completely dead to ourselves, we're filled with the life of God. So, because it was fulfilled in Christ, now you live out, quote-unquote, the holy day every single day of your life. Because you're now temple of the Holy Spirit. So, in, in, from the Institute, it's very it's very interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I, would, if I would approach it that way. But I would say that part specifically part of that Sabbath, while it is good to rest, it was a distinctive of the Jewish people to make them distinct from the other nations. So I would go with the principle that Paul um, held to. I'm forgetting the epistle right now at this moment, but if you want to observe certain festivals, more power to you, right. but you cannot require them of Gentiles or non-Jews or other Jews that no longer want to celebrate them. That's between you and the Lord. Right. So that's why that's my nuance as well. That's from that exact passage from Paul. And I would reiterate i think the sabbath is a good idea as far as taking one day out of the week to rest and of course it's um, also a command from the new testament to continue to gather together as believers that that's a wise thing to do so you could combine those like we often do with sunday being <laughs> both our day of rest and a day we gather with believers but it is not inherently sinful to not have gathered with believers within a week and then equally it's not inherently sinful to um to not honor the sabbath day which again is saturday um 
because the Sabbath has been fulfilled through Christ. We're always honoring the Sabbath day. We're always making it holy through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus. Um, again, I, I recommend weekly meeting at church. There's probably something wrong if you're not doing that. And equally, if you're not taking a day of rest out of the week, it, there's probably something wrong. I don't think you're built for that. Um, but it's not a breach of the law in and of itself. Do you have any comments, Theodore? Are you a Sabbath keeper? Are you a Sabbath keeper? <laughs> uh, not as good as I should be. And there's well, also kind of the thing that... Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's an, you're making some assumptions there with that kind of statement. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, there's probably... Well, I don't know if there's a maximal or optimal or perfect amount of rest uh, that has to take in. Um, but one of the things, even like a daily thing, like... Uh, scripture says Jesus often withdrew to like lonely places mm-hmm. to pray or whatever. And so that's kind of like a daily Sabbath. But, I suppose. Yeah. Maybe also so, so like that's a daily Sabbath. Sure. No, I'd, well, I'd separate those. But it's like a waking Sabbath to me is like a well. I guess it doesn't necessarily be, need to be waking either. Me sleeping or waking, um, but yeah, not working, resting, um, honoring God in that way. Yourself. Yeah. So again, I I don't know that it's um, all my justification for it not being a law law. Um, that's that's binding the way it was before. Um, I think still stands. However, like Peter is saying, we recommend it. Thinks God's part of God's design as far as being good, good practice. Um, and even this expands to the rest of the details of this law. This law encompasses a lot of the other Sabbath laws, like when they're supposed to celebrate, which they also rested on their celebration days. Some lasted for several weeks, several days. So you'd have large periods of Sabbath where you weren't supposed to be working. And it even encompasses every seventh year. The year of Jubilee. No. That's every 40th year, but you know, every seventh year was, was a year that you were to release your slaves, forgive debts, and then um, or lastly, leave your fields fallow, meaning don't don't plant your fields. And what um, I take that to mean, although me and Sebastian were having a discussion before this, what I take that to mean is that you would not pursue your main job that year, which is the fields. Um, so you still worked. I would say it wasn't a non-working year. It was just a year where you weren't doing your main job, and it, you probably weren't as lucrative as your, your main job. Um, you were letting the land rest and you were honoring the Lord and trusting him for that year that you wouldn't have your main source of income that year. So in the same way, I would say that you could apply that in today's life um, um, with your weekly Sabbath or often you're going to take some rest period that you you make sure you refrain from your main source of income for that day. For example, we all work usually at office jobs or whatever you do. You work at some some distinctive job where you're not a farmer. Um if you take a rest day out of the week, I would say that rest day involves not doing that job on that day. So I make it a point in my own life. Again, it's not a legalistic thing. It's not like fire rains down from heaven if I don't do this or I'm sinning if I don't do this, but I try to make sure I don't specifically don't do any work for my job that I get paid for on the day I decide to take rest in the same vein of that seven years that that constitutes a Sabbath. And maybe... (laughs) you could come up with some principle where you also every seven years you take a break from a main job that seems odd i don't know anybody that does that um, but it is part of god's law and i'm willing to entertain it um sebastian was thinking you literally do no work and you take a france style holiday that seventh year 
uh, I, I don't like France, so I, <laughs> I tend to stay away from that application. But I mean, I could be convinced. You are technically working, no matter what you do, even cooking. I mean, I guess how you find it, it's work. So I would say, yes, you're not doing your main job, your main income for a whole year. You could be doing yard work, you could be doing a hobby that is work because you're exerting energy and concentration. So I guess that is work, but you're just not doing your source of income, which back in the day was agriculture. Like almost everybody was a farmer. I mean, that's, it's wrong because there's plenty of non-agriculture positions, um, but I do believe it's generally applicable to your main job. So I agree with that. But like some people wait way too much of a deal out of it to being an agricultural society because there was tailors. And and even here, and this is where I think it gets to be like complicated in how you apply it, um, women who stayed home and they work, right? On Sunday or whatever day they're going to take as their rest day, like they still get up, they still take care of the kids, they still cook, they still do a lot of things. And Jews today, as a way to avoid doing any of that work on the Sabbath, they prep it all in advance. They like prep their meals in advance. They're not cooking on the Sabbath. And they turn on all their lights. They don't have to turn them off because they consider it work to turn it off, whatever. So they do a lot of like expansion of piety there. And for, especially for stay-at-home moms today, I think that it can be difficult to find a, a true rest day because you're always taking care of children and cooking and whatever else. And then equally for agricultural people, like even though you left your fields fallow, shepherds have no fields. I mean, they, have, they have fields of grass, so they're not, there's nothing to plant. They had animals, and you can't unattend the animals for, for the whole year. You can't even really do it for a day. And so that's why I think um, hard to apply this law in some ways where you have to be faithful every day. Like, you can't actually take the Sabbath off of it. So for shepherds, for example, I don't think they'd, they'd take the Sabbath off. Um, I don't know what, what they might do, but they still have to tend their animals for that year. So no breaks. They might not be selling them, though. Which would be a source of income. Right. I don't know. Right. They may might be processing cheese or wool or something. I don't know. But they need like they need to share their sheep at some point that year and they need to take care of their animals. So I again I would hold that this fourth commandment, keep the Sabbath day holy, is actually fulfilled in Jesus and it's no longer a sin worthy law um, that we should be that concerned about. Again, good general practice to rest and take take look at God's law and see how you can apply his rest to your daily life, but it's no longer legalistic like it would have been. All right. I don't even know if we mentioned, but uh, like Jesus says, Sabbath was, Sabbath was made for man, not and for Sabbath. And even if it's not for your personal rest, Sabbath could be um, just so that you don't neglect God um, or your brothers and sisters in Christ. And don't become like a workaholic or something like that. Yeah, I mean, what I will say about the Sabbath in the law is that the Sabbath is not a express day that you need to go worship God. Um, it's really a modern concept, well, not even modern. It's a, Back then, too, they would take Sabbath as the day that they go and work in synagogue um, and like hear synagogue stuff. So it's not, Christians are the only ones that have taken that to be the day they worship. Um, however, that's actually not part of the law. The law doesn't require that you worship God that day. So, um, yeah. But I mean, to your point, Peter. It's made for man, and uh, it's good that we rest. All right. We're going to keep moving along. Otherwise, we'll be stuck in this app forever. Uh, <laughs> fifth commandment. Theodore, what's the fifth commandment? Honor father and mother, so that it may go well with you. Yeah. Like that. This one might be, like, easy, actually, of all the ones. Uh, there are many laws that come out of okay, this one. Okay, next one. <laughs> well, there are many laws that come out of this one, but, like, this is, to this point, 
it's the only commandment with a promise. That's what a lot of people say, because that's what Paul says, um, that, it, so that it may go well for you. So the other one is going to have a promise. I think the impl- implied promise here of all of them is that it will go well for you if you follow God's law. Um, but on your father and mother, people might ask, I guess, especially on those, that it's not so obvious why you do this. Um, and so the law gives the explanation so that it may go well for you. And um, proverbial, you know, honor your father and mother. I think it's a throwback to the Proverbs, which talk about honoring your father and mother and how you honor. Um, there are a lot of questions on this one and exactly how you honor your father and mother. And they're not all expressly even laid out in the 633 commandments that he gives after this. Um, but Jesus gives an example of the Corban rule, meaning that you give your inheritance and support to the temple instead of your parents as being a breach of this commandment. So, and that's not a, that scenario where you give your money to the temple instead of your parents isn't a law in the 633 commandments. So um, honoring your father and mother clearly is kind of ambiguous as far as exactly how it's applied. It's up to the judge. God, of course, is a perfect judge. But we would say if you are specifically leaving out something you should, that everybody knows you should give your parents and you're specifically not giving it to your parents, that would be dishonoring them, even if it's not expressly in God's law. For example, there's no God's law that says you have to ask the father of your bride if you can marry her. It's not there, unless except in the case of like statutory rape. But besides that, there's no required asking of the father. However, in U.S. culture, even in subculture of the U.S., I should say, because U.S. culture changes pretty fast. Right now, I would even advocate that you don't actually have to ask a father. <laughs> However, if like in the conservative Christian bubble or just conservative bubble in general, um, it's the expectation that you ask the father before you um, propose to the wife. And so uh, I did because it honored that father. And then my own father, like I give him his due, even if he's not going with God or he's not like a perfect guy. None of us are. Um, you want to give your father proper honor and same with your mother equally. So if there's like things, expectations that people would normally have that you honor your father and mother, unless it's sinning and doing it, we'd say do it. By asking, you're doing something very interesting and you might be saying, what does honor even mean? Mm-hmm. This is an example. When you asked the Pet- uh, Petra's father, you were asking, what you're communicating is, I value your opinion. Mm-hmm. May I please, even if you say no, may I please, or yes, or whatever, may I, I want to hear your, your opinion. You're showing care, you're showing regard for that person by asking. You don't have to, but you care, so you ask. I would say that's one way of honoring. Also, and again, I remember the epistle, but Paul did write that if you neglect your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Right. So Christians definitely are beholden to, to this commandment. Right, and just to directly apply what you just said, Sebastian, if you leave your father and mother to die in some nursing home or be poor and live in their, their basement and slowly perish, um, unless they've refused your help, which sometimes happens, right? They decide, like, I don't want your help, stop helping me, whatever else, um, or they want to go to the nursing home themselves and they refuse you. Like, barring those scenarios, if you neglect your father and mother in that way because you don't want to take care of them, um, you are dishonoring your father and mother and you are disobeying God, you're worse than an unbeliever. Let's make it interesting. What happens if your parents are abusive, cruel, sinful, idolaters, whatever you may be? Mm-hmm. Should you honor them? How can you honor them? Right, and this is where you have to apply God's law in whole. Of course, if your parents expect you to obey them, if this is not obey your father and mother, because sometimes they will 
ask you to sin or whatever else and you have to disobey them in that regard um, again generally you you obey your father and mother when you're under their house and generally you don't you're no longer in their sphere of influence once you are a man and have your own household um, so i would say that for sinful parents who are because every parent is sinful but for their sinful things you don't have to obey them in their sin even if they think that's dishonoring to you or maybe society thinks that's dishonoring it's not truly dishonoring if it's honoring god before them um, but in everything that's not um that is appropriately in the parents' sphere of what they deserve, like credit for raising you or whatever else, um, you should pay them proper honor. Uh, I mean, if they are truly, quote-unquote, abusive, I think abusive as a word is often abused, so I want to be careful with that because some people will say that their parents are abusive because they spanked them or whatever else, and I think that's inane. Um, Torture. Let's, yeah. just say, let's just say torture. That Whatever else. Uh, yes, the parent tortured you, and now they are sick and dying, um, and you decide not to take them in because they will stab you. Um, okay. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I think there's discern you need discernment. There's some wisdom here. But in any case, you're supposed to honor your father and mother. So if you know you're dishonoring them and there's no good reason, um, there's no actually good reason, mm -hmm. then you are breaching the commandment. Any thoughts on that, Theodore? All right, we'll move on. You shall not murder. Another short one. Any comments on that one, Theodore, Sebastian? Jesus expanded this one. He did. He didn't expand it. He expounded on it because it was oh, also word, included okay. in the law. Expounded, okay. When when and and King James will say you should not kill. I think my only clarification there is a really dumb clarification, but some. Um, whole cults are built around that so i just want to clarify murder means murder like lawfully like you should not unlawfully kill somebody you can kill people the law demands that you kill people for certain things like breaking sabbath and murder and whatever else so this is not you should not kill um i.e like seventh day adventists and other pacifists you don't fight because they believe you shouldn't kill um that's dumb that's not an obeying of the, the sixth commandment here uh, but besides that the the expansion the expounding that jesus gives is that if you hate somebody in your heart you're murdering them um, you're not you're not clearly you're not murdering jesus doesn't mean you're murdering them in the sense that you would need to go to trial for murder because you've hated them in your heart but he's saying that the spirit behind hate is against this commandment and so all those other laws that are underneath you shall not murder in the law um, they expound on not hating your neighbor and we would say love your neighbors yourself is somewhere it has a piece of it being you shall not murder and therefore it's if you don't love your neighbors yourself you are murdering them because you're breaching the primary commandment over them mm -hmm. if i'm making sense and it isn't kill because in acts in acts 3 i'm pretty sure uh peter peter yes peter was preaching to the crowd of jews saying that god ordained pontius pilate herod the pharisees everyone jesus judas iscariot to all come together at this very specific point in time so that christ would be crucified meaning killed mm -hmm. so well they god did murder was... him i mean no yes yes they did murder him but god ordained the killing to take place which was which is different than than the desires of the jews for right, but they did i mean they unlawfully murdered him so like, no yes yes <laughs> the act was murder Yes, they murdered, but God used the death of Christ. What I'm saying is the, the killing of him. God's intentions are different. Humans' intentions are 
coming from a different angle. Meaning killing isn't always bad, bad. Yes. Got it. And there's other times. I mean, think of all the times that, that people are killed in the Bible. That's good. Like uh, Jezebel is killed. Right? The guy pushes her off the ledge. And that's God. It's God ordained that she die. And then equally, um, when David kills Goliath. The killing there is good. It's not murder. It's in war. It's in battle. It's good. And it's against the enemies of God. Uh, abortion is included in murder. Manslaughter is included in murder, but it's a different kind of murder to lesser degrees. The law again expounds on how you deal with manslaughter, accidental murder, um, but it's all the same. Any comments on that, Theodore? No. <laughs> all right. We're zooming on. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Number seven. What does this one mean? Cheating on your husband or wife. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I'm trying to think of ways to expound this. Some people say that uh, it's adultery to be idolatrous and it's adultery to have gods before God. It's true because God uses this as an analogy to Israel because Israel is his bride and here she is cheating on him with other gods, um, but it's not actually adultery. Like he wouldn't charge her with, with the literal crime of adultery. It's like an allegory of, of idolatry. So it is not idolatry. Adultery is truly a married man having sex with, a, with another married person. Um, and they, or vice versa, an unmarried man having sex with a married woman. Um, there's a nuance here in God's law, so I'm going to point it out just because I'd be remiss not to, and if 500 years this becomes a point of contention, you'll know. Um, it's always bad to fornicate. I want to put that <laughs> into to feature. There are laws against fornication, meaning having sex outside of marriage wherever it is. Um, however, for a man to achieve multiple wives, um, there's a way that he could do that without being put to death. It involves sin, it involves fornication and lusting and all the rest, so let's not pretend like having multiple wives is a good thing. That's why elder qualification of elders is not having multiple wives and whatever else. But um, if a married man, in the law, if a married man, it's not it's not like expressly specified like this, but you see the loophole in the law. If a married man has um, sex with an unmarried woman, it's considered fornication as opposed to adultery. And I know I might get heat for this. I'm, I'm willing to be corrected, but the way I understand the law is this, and this is the way the Jews understood the law. And when he, he, if he did this, he fornicated, he would be required by the law to pay a penalty price. And if the father of the woman agreed, he'd marry her and never be able to divorce her. And that was his punishment for it, as opposed to the punishment for adultery, which would be death. Whereas if anybody sleeps with a married woman, they both are put to death. Um, so there's no payment thing going on. Um, I could be wrong, but I want to put it out there because I do believe it's part of the law. Again, I could be wrong. Um, it's kind of a weird caveat because fornication is evil in any regards. So I'm not advocating that you go and pick up multiple wives using this loophole thing. Um, but I would consider it probably not adultery, though, again, I'm willing to be corrected. Many people in the United States and other places will say that any married person sleeping with anybody else besides their partner is adultery as opposed to fornication, which, you know, I'm amenable to because that's also evil. So, like, it's evil. In other words, regardless of what you do, you will die because it is sin. It's sin. Yes, it's true. And I believe that you should not commit, thou should not commit adultery um, is the big law, the summative law, and then underneath it are all the different laws. So fornication is one of those laws. So you could say you're committing the big sin of adultery by, by fornicating. Mm. Uh, but how you deal with that fornication is different than, than the big sins of adultery. Any comments on that one, Theodore? Uh, so I was just thinking, part of the reason why I wanted to do like a, a, a deconstructing uh, Ten Commandments kind of thing is to ask, like, why, uh, hmm. in part, um, are some of these commandments? So, like, why not commit adultery? Um, but 
Um, I'd say like all these commandments are basically a best universal practice um, and wise living because you see like open relationships, homosexual relationships, transgender relationships, and like Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been in the news and it, it's just chaos. He's when open, open marriage there's for the record, no... meaning his wife has sex with other men. I, when there's no commitment, there's no trust. Um, it's just chaos. No. Right, and I would say f- part of my take on this is that it's chaos because it's against God's law, as opposed to it's chaos and therefore God made it a law. Um, True. Yeah. I guess they're kind of one and the same because God designed the world to work a certain way, and then He put laws in some place, so so they. They come together, right? It was always going to be chaos to commit adultery, when, but even before gave God, God gave the law, but he, he designed things in a way that he was always going to give the law because that's what's good. Um, but yes, <laughs> yeah. there's chaos when you commit adultery. Um, it hurts relationships. Multiple wives, as the Bible viciously testifies, are always a curse on both the wives and the husbands. They don't do it. Uh, murder is a curse, of course. I think you see that the calling of human life is never good um, unless it's like God-given. You know, He's the one calling life. Um, we see that through genocides and other things like that. It always ends up hurting the country that commits the genocides again, unless it's like expressly God ordained, like um, the Canaanites being exterminated, for example. Um, but otherwise, you're you're ruining human potential when you destroy even generally wicked people. Um, it's you should not murder. And then same with honoring your father and your mother. If you do not, you become like the Cultural Revolution and the Great Leap Forward in China, and you lose all your history and become generally an evil, distrusting, selfish, and destructive culture. Uh, the Sabbath day, if you do not rest, you become greedy and stressed out and unproductive, surprisingly, and untrustworthy and unfaithful. If you take the Lord's name in vain, you become um, vain people who say things they don't mean. And, of course, they, they insult God and therefore fall away from following God. And the same goes for the idols and having gods before God. You will lead yourself astray to many other evils if you do not hold to God's holiness. On a positive note, following these things leads to harmony. Right. And, you know, I really don't want to take an aside on this too broad just because we're already getting close to time. But um, some might ask, and it gets into a conversation about how the law applies, those who don't know this law. Um, Anybody who knows this law is held accountable for disobeying it, as Romans 7 and other places in Romans and God's law say that when you know the law, like you've heard God's command and then you disobey it, you are accountable not only for doing the evil, but for knowingly doing the evil. That's extra evil to know God's law and then rebel against it. However, there are those who legitimately don't know God's law. They haven't seen the Ten Commandments. They haven't read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So they would ask you, what is Israel? Yeah, they don't, they don't know it at all. Um, there, this is a legitimate category because, um, again, Romans talks about it, those who don't know the law. However, and this is in Romans 5, is that right? I mean, we don't need to <laughs> quote it directly, really, because I don't want to get into <laughs> gather because you could spend all day on it. Um, but there's some category of people who don't know the law okay. and then perish, they die. Um, and even though they broke things in the law, they're not held accountable for having broken those particular laws because they didn't know them. So God is fair in that way. However, um, there are fundamental principles that God still holds them accountable to because they know, but they actually know better and they rebel against God, even though they didn't get the 10 commandments, they actually know the 10 commandments and it's not expressed in scripture exactly what the line of natural law is that people are held accountable to. 
um, but we do know some things. For example, Cain was held responsible for murdering Abel, even though he hadn't been given the Ten Commandments. So clearly murder is on the list of things that God holds men accountable to. Um, I would generally say the Ten Commandments is a good list for things that I would say people should hold to and know to hold to, even if they don't know the specifics of the law. Like even if they don't know specifically how to keep the Sabbath day holy, if they don't honor God and, and keep some days resting, they're dishonoring God in that way. And then equally, if they make idols or they have gods before God, even though they don't have the law, they're actually rebelling against God and therefore are condemned to die, um, even though they haven't been given the law. Likewise, if you hate someone or straight up stab them, you're not loving your neighbors yourself. Right. I don't know if you have any comments on that, Theodore. Again, I'm not trying to go in a giant rabbit hole, but just wanted to clarify our thoughts. Nope, I'm good. Okay. All right. Seventh commandment. We're rolling right along. All right, this is eighth, actually, sorry. I think I've miscounted somewhere along. The seventh was do not commit adultery. Eighth is thou shalt not steal. Uh, what is there to say? <laughs> <laughs> Should not steal. Take things that are not yours from somebody else. Here's what I will say, though. This one, many countries, if not all, punish it incorrectly. Mm, true. That I will say. And you may be saying, what? Are we not supposed to cut off the hands of thieves, as some of my relatives in Peru would say, or just straight up kill them or castrate them? I've even heard that. I'm like, where are you getting this from? This sounds extreme and radical. In Islam, the punishment for stealing is cutting off the hands. You may be asking then, what did the Jews were told to punish for stealing? You pay back twice the amount of what you stole. And sometimes even the Proverbs, even yeah. yes, up to seven times, yeah. I've heard so between twice and seven times, depending on how egregious your theft was. So it's, I would say it would have been subjective to the, to the judge right. overseeing the case. But at the very minimum, twice of what you stole. Were you thrown in prison, in jail? Not at all. I think that's where society punishes theft wrongly. And you end up creating more harm. You are, you're probably hardening the person that stole by throwing that man or woman in jail instead of just having them repay back. That's what I would say on stealing. Yeah, I mean, I could go on. I, I guess applications here. If you put them in prison, then they get like free room and board. But if they got to pay back what they steal, then that forces them to work and be uh, profitable to society. Yeah, and principally, I, I mean, I don't want to like be dumb here. Prison sucks, so like, let's not pretend like it's a good time for the prisoner. I really think it's a oh, lose right. lose. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, I think it's a lose lose. Like, the victim of the theft does not get repaid. Uh, and society has to pay for the thief to be board, room and boarded, right? So that's bad on all that end. Right. And then the the, vict the, vic the victimizer, the thief, um, is thrown in prison. <laughs> that just sucks, right? That's not reformative. It's just... You're over-punishing the person, I would actually argue, in that for stealing in that case. Um, yeah, it depends on how bad it is. But, but yes, I think that it's bad the way we deal with stealing. I would also say it helps to define what stealing is. It's, it's taking something from somebody that they were unwilling to give to you. So even if they should have given it to you, for example, there are laws in the, the New Testament that say they're not, they're not punished by anything. So they're not, they don't have the force of um, force behind them, but they are laws that say that if your neighbor comes to um, ask for a loan from you, that you should give them the loan. Um, even if you think their loan reason is dumb or whatever else, you should give it to them because they're your neighbor and you should love them in that way. Uh, and then equally, you shouldn't take collateral from them, whatever else. Uh, you shouldn't take 
need full collateral from them. There are things like this that aren't punished. Like if you do take bad collateral from them or you don't give them a loan, you're not punished by the force of a court, but you are disobeying God. Um, it would be stealing if you are one who needs a loan. You go up to your neighbor and you say, please give me $1,000. I need it to start my business or I need it to pay my debtors or whatever else. And then he says, no. And you say, you've just wronged me, which he has. He's just a guy's law there. If you snuck into his house at night and stole the $1,000 <laughs> you were asking for a loan for, um, and you justified yourself saying it's not stealing because he owed it to me, right? He should have loaned it to me. It's still stealing because he wasn't willing to give it to you. So that is stealing. Um, and you might see where I'm going with this. If you're a government or a mob of people or whatever, and you threaten somebody and extort out of them their stuff that they were not willing to give to you, but gave it to you because of extortion or you took it from them, um, you have just stolen. Um, there's one exception and that's taxation up to 10% is considered tyrannical, hard, evil, a curse on society, but nevertheless is allowed to a government. And I quote for Samuel for that. God gives it as a stipulation to government. That again, 10% is very high. It's evil. It's not good, uh, but it is allowed for government. Any more than that is overbearing. It's tyranny. It's theft. Um, and then equally, if you're a private citizen and you mob up and you're you're wanting somebody's things, so you get a crowd of your friends around and you say, give us your TV or we'll break in your house. Um, and they give you the TV, that's theft. It's not um, some other breach of the law. And so uh, all that being said, the government is sinning in its taxation and those who covet their neighbor's things and then want them to be stolen, to give into them, they want universal basic income. That is actually stealing amongst other sins to heart. The the thing they're doing is they want to steal from their neighbor and, and give to others. So when you say and you vote for a redistribution of wealth, however small, um, I would say it's actually stealing. There you go. Yep. Uh, you should work for the things you get or you should be given them, right? It, it, you cannot steal. You can't take them from your neighbor. And that's why... Loan forgiveness. <laughs> right. Loan forgiveness. You've been you've forgiven your loan. The, the United States government stole it from the people and gave it to others, but then forgave the loan. So I, the loan forgiveness, I'm totally for, but the stealing, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Commandment number nine. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That often gets incorrectly summarized to you shall not lie but it is explicitly saying bearing false witness now you will see in the in the law like in portions of Leviticus about loving your neighbor and others it says don't lie to each other so we'd also say like don't don't deceive each other generally um, <laughs> but this one is specifically about not bearing false witness against your neighbor so if um, they're in the court and you say he stole my money and he didn't actually steal your <laughs> money you are breaking this commandment and that is very enforceable. So lying, for example, and I think the reason it's not here is because it's not an enforceable thing, um, but lying is bad. It's against God's law when you deceive somebody unjustly. Um, there are times where when lying is just, but they're few and far between. Like if you're saving lives or something like that with your lies, right? You're not telling the government that the Jews are in your basement because you're saving your lives, whatever else. Just what I was thinking right? about. That's what a lot of people think about, but I think that's justified. I think we'd all agree it's justified. I think most people would. Um, but... Uh, and therefore you're not breaching the ninth commandment when you lie and say, no, there's no Jews here when they really are. Um, like the, I'll just give a biblical example. When the um, midwives, the Egyptian midwives, um, lie to Pharaoh when they're not obeying his instruction to kill all the male children of the Israelites, they say, oh, the, the Israelite women give birth too fast and we can't get to them by the time they give birth and therefore we can't like secretly kill their babies. Um, they're lying. 
because they actually are helping deliver all these babies. They, the, or the Israelite women are not giving birth too fast, um, but they're lying and they're saving the baby. So this is not a breach of the ninth commandment. Um, but when you bear false witness against your neighbor, um, you're culpable. If it's found out that you did bear false witness, you're culpable for the charges you thought you were bringing on them. So for example, if I said Sebastian stole $1,000 from me, so he owes me $2,000, and then it turns out that I'm lying, I owe him $4,000 because I was expecting $2,000 and I, you double the money or, or you seven times the money or whatever, how egregious uh, my sin was. But in any case, you get um, what you were trying to get in the other person. I'll settle for seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have comments on this, but I would just, the caveat is that lying in and of itself, I don't think it's always evil, uh, but mm-hmm. usually it is. And, and especially if you're witnessing, excuse me, against somebody falsely, um, it is a breach of the commitment. A tiny commentary on this. When Jesus is being tried in front of the Sanhedrin, they have all these false witnesses coming up to bear against him, and the witnesses do not line up with each other, and they know that, so they don't even use them as witnesses. Like they're like, you guys aren't lining up, so they can't, and they're frustrated. Um, the only one they get to corroborate is when the guy says that Jesus said that he would destroy the temple, and then Jesus is like, yeah, I did, um, essentially. Uh, that's the only one they really charge him with, and that they, you know, send him to be crucified. They should have if they had really been obeying god's law of course they're crucifying the lord of glory so they're not obeying god's law in a lot of ways here but um they should have been prosecuting each one of these people who is clearly lying bearing false witness against their neighbor trying to get jesus killed they should all be given the death penalty for or at least brought to court to see if they should be given the death penalty um, for bearing false witness against jesus just a little thing on how the Sadducees were not um judging jesus correctly who knew all right Last and final Ten Commandment. Again, don't forget the last two that they tack on that are really summative of these, which is love the Lord God yourself with all your heart, soul, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. Don't forget those. But the last one of these Ten Commandments is you shall not covet, which uh, we already talked about because we said the Catholics split this into two because the actual command is you shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor any of his goods. Um, so I guess you could pretend to split that into two, but it's really just one. You should not covet. Wait, any comments on you should not covet? Well, I thought it was usually not covet neighbor's wife, uh, household, servant, animals. So it's like split it into more than just yeah. You should not covet your neighbor's wife. You not shall not covet your neighbor's whatever else. It's true. So it there's gives more a than two, but they just two, I guess, to make ten commandments. Took the other one out. This one seems like it may be tacked on at the end, but it's one that is one of the easiest, perhaps, to break. How often do you see people with yachts, mansions, and uh, uh, fine clothing, whatever it may be, luxury cars, and it's like, oh, I wish I had that. Or, I mean, you can take more than just, I wish I had that. Like, this person doesn't even deserve to. Well, maybe, maybe, right. <laughs> from, the, from the perspective of God, yes, that may very well be true, but you you are not God. So you, why are you making these judgments on others? Yeah, I think what's important here is that you could take it. So if you see somebody with a giant yacht and you say, I want a giant yacht, um, that's not coveting. That's just wanting what they have. But like, they want the, the same thing that they have. But coveting is meaning like that giant yacht should be mine, right? Taking it from them. So it's like the spirit behind stealing is coveting, which to me, it's kind of strange to be honest that it's separate from stealing because if you steal something, you probably coveted it first. I can't see a way of you not coveting it. So you think it would be covered when you say thou shalt not steal, that you should also not covet. However, um, 
I think this is spelling out, this is pointing to the heart reasons behind things. Like a lot of these things are physical. Don't murder, don't make idols, don't steal. Um, but but you should not covet as a heart disposition, like some of the other commandments are too, uh, behind kind of any hate for your neighbor crime where you, if you steal from them, it's because you coveted their good, right? If you um, commit adultery, you coveted somebody's wife or somebody's love or whoever it was. Um, if you bear false witness against your neighbor, it's probably because you coveted something of theirs. Like if I bear false witness against you, Sebastian, by saying you stole from me and I want money from you, I coveted your money. Um, sometimes you covet fame or positions that you might murder for or whatever else. I mean, coveting is a root of a lot of these sins, and so it's spelled out. You should not even covet, right? Don't even have the heart disposition for it, um, which is interesting, again, because there's no physical law against coveting as far as, like, if you were found out to be coveting something, there's no punishment for you on earth. There, of course, is in heaven because it's a breach of God's law, um, but, there's, but there's not on earth. But here it is, nevertheless, which, again, tells me it's a very important heart disposition to be summative of the whole law, um, that it be included. Any other comments on that? All right. No. I mean, my side comment is that that's the impetus for like all the class warfare struggle things, right? Like, oh, I covet what Jeff Bezos has, so he should give it to me. And that's expressly coveting. It's not just that I want the wealth. Also, it's that I want to take Jeff Bezos' wealth and give it to me, says Bernie Sanders, or says the crowds that support communism or whatever else. They covet their neighbor's things. And so they are not righteous. They say they're righteous. They say they're, they're class warriors and that they're out looking out for the middleman and that um, they want to spread the wealth around. That is coveting. It's evil. It's stealing. It's everything wrong here. With all that being said, we've gone through all the Ten Commandments. We even went on side rabbit trails. We talked about the specifics of God's law. We talked about the two extra commandments. We talked about innocence before God in regards to the law, if you don't know it, and how you're not truly innocent in total. Um, we've talked about some specifics of these. Any last closing comments on this digesting, this dissecting of the Ten Commandments? I have one. Theodore, do you have one? Sure. You want me to go first? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> I think a lot of these could be a result of like pride, arrogance, entitlement, or lack of humility. Um, and it's kind of thinking like God chose the Israelites to be basically his banner to the people as a testimony to him. God chose Adam, God chose Moses and Abraham and uh, whatnot. Um, and Adam, Abraham, Moses did not they did not like first choose God without God first choosing them um, that that they did not ask God to be their God or to give them commandments so that they could be perfect um, etc oh where was I going with this well I might, I might <laughs> butt in and say that just like they weren't righteous in and of themselves but God gifted them with righteousness and brought, you know, brought right. them to him. He also gifted us with the law. The law is really a gift to us. It's God's That's... gift. Mm. Man, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Sebastian, do you point? Yes. If you haven't caught on to everything we've been listing, you've probably, including myself and everyone here in this planet, has not obeyed these laws. Mm -hmm. And while no one's out there to execute us at the moment, should we die because we have transgressed the law of God 
we are the punishment is you are separated from him for eternity in what we call hell and no human except for one has been able to achieve and live perfectly you might say yeah and i have never murdered anyone no 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 no. i've hated people you never coveted lies don't believe it you have always honored the lord with all your heart soul and strength i don't believe you sorry because you're also a liar so can't can't really take what you're saying seriously as ray comfort would say so you cannot seek to say you're a just and righteous person by obeying these laws the pharisees tried and they end up killing the very own god that gave them these laws because of their blindness because of their own pride and arrogance they fell into the same sin as satan so you cannot seek righteousness or be even think of being saved by these laws as paul points out a jew a a cream of the crop of pharisee when he was a pharisee very well educated the law as good and holy as it is on sinful people it is a burden because not because it's evil but because it shows us how bad we are in comparison to what god expects of us this is why the messiah had to come in human form to fulfill to live out perfectly the law that we could not live on our own for us because we suck we failed terribly at it he did not we did the punishment that was due for us was placed on him the only innocent person has ever lived suffered for what we should have suffered he suffered on the cross and the wrath of god was poured on him on the cross as he was crying out saying the name of god after all of this Mm -hmm. my god my god why have you forsaken me calling on the psalms to remind them this is the moment being fulfilled right now everything you've been waiting for my fellow jews the temple the sacrifices the, the the specific role of israel in history is being fulfilled right now that is what Christians believe at least that's what Christians should understand that sacrifice on the cross was due to our failures and God rich in mercy and grace has given that to us if you repent and believe you can have everlasting life despite how ugly sinful and gross we are God is more than happy to be giving us gifts grace abounding he's slow to anger rich in mercy as jonah said so repent and believe that is what jesus and the uh, john the baptist preached that is the good news of christ that by repenting and believing you may be forgiven of your transgressions have everlasting life and live for eternity with god himself amen and if you're ever a christian that's struggling with this and you still do i recommend reading romans 7 and first john for assurance of salvation um, because we are called to obey the, the Ten Commandments and we are made new and we hate sin once we become regenerated and forgiven by the Lord. But it doesn't mean our flesh does not still sin um, in case you are struggling with that. So with all that said, that's why we found our cause in serving that very Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right has been... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And all the way over in the corner has been... Theodore, under the PC. Thanks for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to foundcause.podbean.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. That's audio only, though. You won't be able to see the theater cam in the corner. Um, you have to go to youtube.com and find us there on the Found Cause or facebook.com forward slash Found Cause. You're going to see our beautiful faces. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you might find your podcast. So until next time, we talk about something completely different, probably another response video, which 
you know, the Nabil Crest one, doing really well. I didn't even edit up, edit up the clap because I'm not very good, apparently. And uh, it's still doing well, so uh, I'm impressed. Uh, if you want to see another little viral video getting 100 views, man, uh, stay tuned. Bye. Bye.